Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs for episode 132. I, I really can't believe it. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here with my co-host, the Fandiferous, Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Well, hello, and let me say that you were looking especially scrumptoculous today. <laughs> Even though I cannot see you, I know it's true. Uh, I was just going over some old, um, again with this, Beverly Hills 90210 content yesterday, and... Um, I apparently described someone's hair as refuculous, and <laughs> I'm going to have to bring that one back, but not for you. You are not refuculous. Um, well, I took a shower today, so I would hope not. <laughs> Redolent and refuculous. Um, so we are going back in time with a multiple listener request uh, as we talk about Michael Penn's No Myth today, uh, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about who requested this and um, also some ancillary material that you introduced yes. me to? Because that was amazeballs. Sure. Okay. First of all, I want to thank our listeners, Lindsay and Jimmy. They requested this song separately of from one another. Uh, and Lindsay's request came in quite some time ago, so listeners, don't lose faith uh, if you don't hear your request get picked up within the first, oh, 12 months uh, or more <laughs> that you send it. We promise that we have it on file, and we, due to the large volume of requests, we are not able to respond to everyone personally, except that's not true. I always respond personally to the. The point is, it's happening. <laughs> no Myth by Michael Penn was requested by two people, Lindsay, Jimmy, we thank you. And... It's also worth noting that this song was made its debut. I think it's worth noting. It's this song made its debut on the Billboard charts in the very first chart of 1990, uh, along with Black Velvet by Alana Miles. So a lot of very good guitar-driven alternative or straight-up rock premiering uh, at the very dawn of the 90s. But one of the things that's also worth noting is that Michael Penn is the brother of the late Chris Penn and the still-living Sean Penn. And Michael Penn married the truly fandiferous Amy Mann <laughs> in 1997, which means that for a time, Amy Mann and Robin Wright were sisters-in-law and I cannot get enough of thinking about Amy Mann and Robin Wright at the Penn family Christmas. And they're over there in the corner next to the silver Christmas tree with Sean's acting awards hung on it. And they're like, girl, first of all, you're the top bitch. No, you're the top bitch. <laughs> Clank, we're both the top bitches. But let's talk about these motherfuckers over here, right? Okay. I mean, like, first of all, I mean to tell you, <laughs> listeners, that we were writing fanfic for a while on instant messenger um about them just like in that top um room in the attic that used to be the playroom 
where they yes. smuggled up like a couple of Dixie cups from the guest bathroom and a bottle of gin. And it's like 1135. They're smoking menthols out the window that they found in the <laughs> corner and being like, so then he says, I just needed to immerse myself in the role. And so I said, why don't you immerse yourself in my ass? And like, <laughs> this just, I mean, to be a fly on the wall for even 60 seconds of the, either that or like they totally hated each other. I hope that's not true. I, I just, I can't believe that that's true though, because I happen to know someone who has worked with Robin Wright on a project and said that she was amazing. And you and I have been the unexpected recipient of so much social media kindness from Amy Mann <laughs> that I just feel like both of them have to be amazing. And I also choose to believe, Sarah, that when you and I were making up relatives in the Penn family that they were reading for filth, that we weren't far off at least a couple of times. Like, oh, I see that cousin Victoria has arrived. Ah, yes. Now we can truly begin to hear about how everyone's against her. <laughs> Or just staring down at yet another mayonnaise-based, quote, salad in utter despair <laughs> and being like, why? Why do we fucking come here? Uh, anyway, um, I believe that Amy Mann and Michael Penn met on um, during the making of the I'm With Stupid album by Amy Mann, which is one of my all-time favorite albums. Um, and I went multiple times to their tour which featured, it was sort of like this variety show named thing and Patton Oswalt opened for them. This is a long time ago before Patton Oswalt became kind of annoying. Sorry, I'm just going to say it. Like, the, the, I, his stand-up is like not really for me anymore, but he was so funny and they obviously like loved each other and loved working together. And the fact that they married each other um, and then just like went put on this like road show. It just made me so happy, especially since I had been to an Amy Mann show where she was like between record labels, and they didn't send a drummer with her. Yeah, we've talked about this before, yes. and like she had to play a she had to play a shitty boombox yeah, to accompany herself. She just herself on. looked like she was seriously about to fly apart from rage and despair, and it was extremely uncomfortable. And I have always sort of taken that very awkward performance into my heart and and try like a baby bird and try, try to um nurture it back to health because it just was like every shitty thing about being uh, an independent artist being a woman in a male-dominated industry being someone who shows up on time and you know in a world where no one cares about anyone else it like it has really stayed with me, obviously. So but I'm then glad to, it all right, worked but out then for to have, her, except for losing but, the Oscar to fucking Phil Collins, which still mad. Yeah, <laughs> fair. But then also to to have them go together on tour and in life, they strike me as one of those couples that you look at them and you think, well, they just make each other better. Like they were already awesome, and now their combined awesomeness. Yes. Uh, for sure. really makes the world better. And the, the fact that, yes, anytime that I have seen them on anything together, they have really seemed to get such a kick out of each other. And I also think it's really cool that uh, they've found a way to really sustain careers. And Michael Penn, who 
only really had No Myth as his one-hit song, has gone on to have a very consistent and successful career scoring film and TV. Mm. He wrote all of the music for, all of the original music for girls. He's working on a couple of shows right now. So, you know, like, they've, they seem like cool people who have made it really work out. And uh, I think that now is probably a good time to finally get around to the song No Myth, which is what brought us here today. Indeed. Uh so, the, again, this song first entered the great consciousness of the world in the first charted week of 1990. Let's listen to a clip of No Myth. So, she says it's time she goes, but wanted to be sure I know, she hopes we can be friends. If anything, are your memories of this song in its original era, and what are your thoughts about it now? Um, I have no memories of this song contemporaneous to its release. Um, I got into Michael Penn big time from that tour that I was talking about before, um, and I own all his albums. I totally disappeared down Michael Penn memory lane while I was preparing for this episode and was like re-listening to almost all of his album MP4 um, and mm. particularly High Time I that's like my favorite Michael Penn song I think and um, instead of doing work I was just like listening to his music which well done Michael Penn this is you know this is what art is supposed to do um so I have no memory of this. I was a senior in high school when this came out. I have no memory of it. I well, we'll get into the we'll get into the video later. But um this song uh some of you while you were listening may have heard a um squawking sound coming from the direction of Toronto and that was our great good friend Paul Quinn in whom this song inspires uh, speechless joy and um, little squeaky sounds of happiness. And I am sad that I didn't know about this song at the time because it is of its time and yet very much atypical of its time, I would say. Uh, it has this Elvis Costello feel, but without the all the sort of shit that goes with Elvis Costello and this sort of self-conscious cleverness. It's just cleverness. Romeo and black jeans is one of the all time great economical lyric images in indie rock. I would say, um, I love the song, but I don't have a, I don't have those memories of it going back to its birth. Um, because I think it was not getting, airplay like I was a top 40 girl at the time 
And this was, I think, getting drowned out by shit like CNC Music Factory and Alana Miles and um, some of the new Jack Swing stuff that was good, but this sound is like, it sounds 90s, but not in that like jangly guitar, harmonica, cheap production way that we sometimes um, sigh about on this podcast. So my contact with this song was more recent, but I've always really liked it. Um, I think he's a really good songwriter who stays in his lane and doesn't try to be smarter than what he does for a living. And it's just a really good, enjoyable, well-built song that is the correct length and uh, sort of represents 1990 better than most songs from 1990. Mark, what are your thoughts? So I, in 1990, was just beginning my return obsession with, uh, well, let me, in 1990, I was just beginning to renew my obsession with MTV, which I had been obsessed with in the culture club years. Mm -hmm. Then, drifted away from for a while but then came back to just as this song was getting rotated on mtv and i remember so clearly that they had a thing then called the buzz bin oh where i remember the they buzz were, bin there was just commercials that would show you here are the snippets of the four songs we think you should be listening to this month and i so clearly remember that this song was one of them because they would just play what if I were Romeo in black jeans and then out next? And I don't remember anything else about this song except that little snippet. And I so clearly remember Michael Penn winning the Best New Artist Prize at the 1990 Video Music Awards I because... would really like to thank you for... I mean, you introduced me to so many wonderful <laughs> artifacts via this podcast and our friendship but i didn't know this even had a video and i am shocked shocked that this won a vma I, yeah and you know in retrospect Over it Belle is so Biv shocking DeVoe, people i mean we will put this link the link to this um in the in on our facebook page that's uh facebook.com slash podcast. we will also tweet about it this was such an unbelievable trip back in time for so many reasons. R.I.P. Living Color. But yeah, d does that seem... I guess not, because you were into the video at the time. I didn't even know it existed. But does that seem, in retrospect, bizarre? Like, there were some well, so, heavy hitters in that category. So, yes, going back. So my point earlier was that I didn't really ever see the video except in that one commercial. And then I, however, was obsessed with this year's Video Music Awards because this was the year that Vogue was nominated for everything and didn't really win anything. But that right. Madonna gave that iconic Marie Antoinette performance yes. of Vogue. Okay. So I, I watched these VMAs every single time that they came on and MTV was known to replay some shit. So... <laughs> I saw Michael Penn win this award so many times that it never even occurred to me that it was an unusual choice because I just had received it so often that I was like, ah, of course. But in retrospect, 
Let's just think about the other people who were nominated for Best New Artist that year at the VMAs. As you mentioned, Belle Bib DeVoe, Alana Miles, Lisa Stansfield. Yes. Um, uh, Jane Child of I Don't Want to Fall in Love fame. Uh, uh, the Black Crows were nominated uh, that year. Uh, uh, yeah. And there's one more. There were seven nominees that year, and there's one more that I'm forgetting. But anyway, like it was a murderer's row of really awesome people who dropped great singles in 1990. And, but Michael and whose songs, I through. think, were much more representative of that time in popular music. I mean, it's just my opinion, but like, I am shocked. And I know it's the Video Music Awards, whatever, but like Lisa Stansfield and Belle Biv DeVoe's singles in this nominee slate seem so much more representative of that time. I agree. Yeah, but you know, hold on. I've just looked it up. Oh, and Lenny Kravitz was the yes. other one. My God. <laughs> Holy like, crap. Damn. It's also a reminder that a lot of people came out in 1990 who were just like, oh, yeah, I still know who that is. Mm. Um, and yet the previous year, Living Color had won, and that's why Living Color gave the award. And uh, okay. <laughs> Next year, Jesus Jones beat CNC Music Factory. Okay, oh, anyway, God, let's Jesus let's... Jones right here, right now. I'm getting that song stuck in my head again. Cool. Although, as I look at this, you can actually see a clear bias in this era of 89, 90, 91 toward uh, toward straightforward male rock because Paula Abdul lost to Living Color, Edie Brickell, and Nana Cherry. They are the three that lost to Living Color. We've already heard who lost to Michael Penn. And then CNC Music Factory, D-Light, Gerardo, and Seal lost to Jesus Jones. Rico! So, you know, I I feel like my mind is being blown because this is the first time I've ever thought to think critically about the Video Music Awards that I used to watch. But, like, yeah, there was clearly some people who were not going to vote for the Paula Abduls of the world. And uh, I guess. Do you think that was like a Millie Vanilli? Just what went through my mind. That it's just like, let's make absolutely sure that the people that are winning this can play, even though like it's video. So who cares? But yeah, interesting. And as I look at the winners of best new artist, it's like all alternative rock in one way or another from 19 from from the beginning of this ever of the VMAs 1984 until Natalie Imbruglia even she has a little bit of an alternative it's really 1999 when Eminem wins that you get a non rock or alt rock winner for best new artist at the VMAs what have we blown open people yeah dang but okay i'm 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 you really We've need to write a book so far on afield. this, I think. <laughs> We've got so far afield. That being said, the fact that Michael Penn won, in retrospect, I think is a pretty cool choice because the experience of listening to this song with any kind of attentiveness, which is what I did for the first time in preparing for this episode, was very pleasing because this song really holds up and it has that melodic heft of a song that might have been written in this period by rem or uh, or similar there's just a really beautiful solidity to the construction of the song and michael penn's vocal is also just so great it's yearning 
and a little ragged, but still quite dexterous in its and then vocal he has that, gymnastics. Yeah, he has that moment in the bridge where he's like, okay, that he's kind of making fun of himself a little bit. Yes, um, yes. And that's one of the things that I like sort of in a global sense about his work, both like lyrically and tonally, that he he takes his work very seriously but he doesn't take himself all that seriously and that there's a um there i mean there is a heft to it like he doesn't write chirpy poppy put the top down on the convertible songs but there's a um there's like a meta-ness to the way that he interacts with his own song craft that is is cool like it makes you feel like you're um in on something yes but not in a snotty way and um his wife's work is like that too yeah they're both very good at being sincere they've somehow mixed sincerity and irony in a very mm-hmm. successful way that yes. doesn't feel it doesn't feel arch it feels just it feels like it feels measured. It's like, yes, I'm having all of these feelings, but fuck y'all. Yeah, occasionally Let's there's a just... little eye roll that's like, it could be at the subject of the song. It could be at themselves. You don't, you don't know. Yeah, it's know. it's like, it's like they're wasps who have caught themselves crying in the mirror. Like they looked in the mirror and saw that they were crying and like, oof, y'all, we got to pull that together. Which actually is how I would describe a lot of Robin Wright's performances, which further underscores why I'm sure that they were really great friends when they were sisters-in-law. Yes. Now, that being said, this song, very, very pleasing to me, but I feel that it does not hold up to lyrical scrutiny. Tara, bold bold statement, perhaps. Okay. But I just need to... Explain. The line, what, what if I were Romeo in black jeans? Yes, absolutely. What if I was Heathcliff? It's no myth. Okay, sure, Heathcliff, bring in some 19th century literature. Great. It's no myth? That isn't a myth. That's not what myths are. <laughs> it just makes me crazy. Mm. It, you, you, you can't I'm going to let you, fi- I'm, I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> okay. Taylor, but then, but then I'm going to disagree with you. This is where we, though, get to the part that I really can't um, abide lyrically, and it's the bridge. Sometime from now, you'll bow to pressure. Some things in life you cannot measure by degrees. I'm between the poles and the equator. Don't send no private investigator to find me, please. Lest he speaks Chinese and can dance like a stare overseas. Okay. I find those lyrics to be so meaningless that they make me frustrated. Um... I think that's where the okay comes in because then he just starts playing guitar and is like, hi, um, all this stuff rhymed and scanned and I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Break. And I guess <laughs> this is just my, but this is just my personality where I'm like, boo boo, if you know that oh, it's no. not good, just go, I just go rewrite it. Michael like, Penn got re- boo-booed, I, y'all. I boo-booed Michael Penn. Oh. I was an honest boo-boo. But here's the thing. It's so strange though, because even though that is true, and let me tell you, Andrew Byrne, Mark Blankenship's husband, he had an even harder fall from grace than I did because when I first played this, he was like, oh, I used to love this song. And then he was like, wait, what is that lyric? Oh, God. So, oh, no. He, no. But 
we but here's the thing i still would be happy to hear this song tomorrow and the next day like i've been listening to it easily six or seven times in the last week and it's still good yeah it's just like i just i just wanted to acknowledge that i clock what i feel are lyrical weaknesses but that it's not enough to make me mad i'm just clocking you know like mm. Mm, i see you okay but i'll still make out with you your wavy hair is very attractive to me fine i mean look uh run to you same thing like am i still irritated every time by the fact that he doesn't use the correct object of pronoun i sure am do i sing the correct one over the the wrong one yes mm-hmm. do i still adore that song and that whole album mm-hmm. but we're not here to talk about brian adams for once <laughs> ha- have we ever talked about brian adams yes we did summer of 69 oh yes oh my god that was really that was like 69 episodes ago <laughs> and it was also like that episode was really like two hours long yeah <laughs> so we got we, and, we um, see you daniel mccagrin um yes thank you our canadian guest yes um i the the lyrics of the bridge are absolutely very 90s in that bad way where they're just so like abstracted from the original sense of the thing that there is no sense left. It's like a mimeograph right. of a um, complete thought, like a fourth generation mimeograph of a complete thought. I I will differ on the your contentions about myth that and just to say that generally the um more colloquial use of that term and the fact that he's referring to both romeo and heathcliff who i think are mythic romantic cishet male figures who actual straight dudes may feel that they're competing with in the minds of women that they're trying to dance with or hit on or whatever. When in fact, the reality of both Romeo and Heathcliff, like Romeo was 14 and got dead and was like, you know, it was just really a lot of melodrama and Heathcliff, Jesus Christ. Like, I'm sorry. The, the entirety of Wuthering Heights, huge 360 degrees of eye roll from from this judge. <laughs> I just I just can't. I'm a I'm a um I'm a non-fan. So I I think that that approach to the idea of myth and the fact that he's sort of mm. the speaker in the song is fighting against it mm-hmm. um makes that more tolerable for me but the bridge is indefensible and i think if you sat down with michael penn and a dixie cup of gin and we're like bro he'd be like oh yeah that makes no sense i get it (laughs) you know what i'm gonna i will say i i accept your rebuttal and (laughs) remove that charge from my lawsuit Mm, okay and i also want to be but fair felony what the, the fuck is definitely being committed yes. in the bridge and i will not uh i will not argue with that indictment but then if i'm gonna be fair because one does want balance mm. in one's life and soul this does have the, the uh, pulled... force of law this podcast after yes all. it's true i know before we condemn a man okay to, to what the fuck bridge island <laughs> 
Yes. Continue. I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> I do want to say the reason I pulled a clip of the first verse is I actually think the lyrics in the first verse are sensational. Mm. The He just wraps up so quickly the way that you're sort of stuttering and startled when someone says that they're going to break up with you. And it's just like, can we still be friends? And you're just like, uh, sure, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And then it's like, but then you see instantly that that was the just being said to be nice. And then it's like she blocked her eyes and drew the curtains with knots I've got yet to untie. It's a really nice metaphor for iced out. Yeah. And uh, that is a really beautiful, quick distillation of a very complicated moment that I think for a lot of people, myself included, is uh, quite relatable. Yeah, I think that. I think that actually, now that we're talking about it, when you're comparing the economy in some places of, or the distillation, let's say, since that's what you just said, of these concepts in some places in the song to the like over distillation of them in other places, I think it's like different results of the same process, if that makes any sense. Mm. Like, I think mm-hmm. that he has boiled, um, all the meat off of these ideas and you have um you have like this distillation of it in the first verse and you know romeo and black jeans like i said extremely elegant and economical but then if you concentrate it down too far then you end up with the bridge right right so kids <laughs> Once you've boiled it down, like, don't take out all the verbs. I don't, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I was a creative writing major and this was definitely part of the, part of my process often in poesy <laughs> was to like. Before you yourself were banished to what the fuck yes, bridge island. I, yeah, I, my bag is packed and I'm, I'm going in a minute, but first, <laughs> but before I go, this was like, you know, you barf up all the images and you sort of try to figure out what your narrative is and then you start reducing 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 and sometimes you throw out like one of the poems in my thesis was three lines but you know my advisor won a pulitzer prize for doing this because he's good at it and who was your advisor paul muldoon Oh, I've heard of oh my god yeah well that's because you went to a fancy school honey well yeah i mean whatever uh he he is very good at this at like reducing adding back in reducing adding back in and going really irish epic with it um once again paul quinn making squeaking noises because he (laughs) has bought me all of paul muldoon's books thanks paul uh but not everyone is good at that or and not everyone is good at who is good at that is good at it every day or across a whole song so yeah, it is actually, now that we're talking about that, another thing to like about this song is how processy it is. And regular listeners to me know that I like processy shit. So well done, Michael Penn. Please invite I... us to Thanksgiving so that we can figure out who's talking shit about whom and get in on it. Can I close this episode with a fact that's going to possibly blow your mind? Uh, will this be our last episode because I've had a stroke? Who could say? Possibly. Yes. Okay. Go. I didn't. I just happened to see this, and I, I, I. Okay. So, no myth was mixed 
in the studio by a guy named Bob Clearmountain. And I thought, damn, that name is familiar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's because he is the producer of tons of Brian Adams songs, including Run To You. Oh! Ladies and gentlemen, I am... Sorry to say that Sarah has passed on. Please send your remembrances and flowers to t- twitter.com slash talk songs. Uh, all Patreon patron <laughs> contributions will now go toward a remembrance of the time <laughs> that Brian Adams became Michael Pith, became Michael Penn, and blew Sarah's mind apart. Thank you for listening. I'm in pieces. I don't know how to break the news, but it's pretty clear you'll be asked to choose between what you lack and what you excuse in this tug of war. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. Simple For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.